Hey everyone, Michelle Seidling here with another episode of Food Experience Unplugged. Today's guest is David Shar, founder of Illuminate Performance Management Consultants. Today, David and I will be having a discussion of where employee burnout and engagement and food and wellness meet. David Shar, welcome to Food Experience Unplugged. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Well, we are happy to have you and to be talking today kind of at the crossroads of where engagement, employee engagement, and food and wellness meet. And this is, I was really looking forward to this discussion because both aspects of the employee situation are so important. You know, what they take in is what their productivity coming out and and their their health and their well-being. So this is a fantastic opportunity to to kind of share that that different aspects of the employee engagement situation. Yeah, I was so excited when we talked about doing this because I don't really touch the food part, the nutrition, the all of that aspect of um, employee engagement and and burnout. Rather, I usually focus on the other side. So when we talk about burnout, we talk about the resilience piece and, and how do we, what do we do personally to prevent burnout, uh, to prevent ourselves from burning out? And that's a huge piece of burnout prevention. On the other side is the organizational piece. And that's the piece that I typically am uh, more focused on. So I love the concept of coming on here and discussing uh, between the two of us, we can really look at the, at the whole picture of burnout. Sure, absolutely. Well, to start off, could you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you to this point, and I guess why why the focus on employee engagement? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I started off as a young entrepreneur. I um, owned a small ice cream franchise in Baltimore City. So. Um, we were in this small <laughs> bubble in Baltimore City where all of our customers, or the majority of them, came from upper middle class homes. Um, but our employees all came from uh, parts of Baltimore City that were made famous from shows like The Wire, right? So we're talking the inner city, um, some of the toughest streets in America, if not the world. This is where the majority of my crew came from. So these teenagers and young adults, um, you know, faced enormous challenges in their lives. Um, uh, things that, that are, are maybe too horrible to even talk about on a podcast like this. And so it was complete culture shock for me seeing what these kids were going through. Um, the good news for them and for me is that um, I didn't pay a lot of attention in school in undergrad where, <laughs> where I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to trust a 16-year-old girl from the projects with a key to my restaurant on her 16th birthday, I gave her a key to the restaurant as a gift and made her a supervisor. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. Uh, but perhaps um, because I didn't know that she wasn't supposed to, I wasn't supposed to do that, she didn't know that I wasn't supposed to do that. So she rose to that level of trust. And so um, I, I basically stumbled uh, into this incredibly engaged workforce. And it didn't become um, how so evident to me until the day that a few months into this operation, um, one of my crew members had a boyfriend who was in a gang and um, she came in looking really down one day. Um, when I asked her about it, she said that, you know, she turned to me and I first noticed she, that she literally had tears coming out of her eyes. 
and she explained to me that her boyfriend had been shot multiple times that morning, was left for wow. dead, um, wow. was, was flown to shock trauma, and things didn't look good. They didn't look promising. And I told her to go, to leave the store, to go home, to go be with her family, with his family, something. And she refused to leave. And I understood that money is tight and, and she felt obligated to the store. So I told her, like, I'll cover your ship. Some things are more important than ice cream. Not much, but this would be one of those things. <laughs> and so I told her, I told her, go um, and I'll, I'll cover for you and, and pay you for the day. And she refused to go. And she pushed back at me and refused to go. I said, why won't you go? Just go be somewhere. And she said, no, I need to be here. I can only be here. This is my happy place. And wow. so that experience led me down this path where it started with Google you know, an employee engagement, Google, all these things. And then it led me to a master's degree in pursuing a doctorate in business psychology and industrial organizational psychology just to get at the answers. What was so different about this place? What was so different about these kids? Why were they so engaged? Why did they, were they able to find meaning in scooping ice cream? While I have so many friends who are doctors and lawyers and financial planners and realtors, people who are making significant impacts in people's lives. And they don't find the same level of meaning in their work. It's hard for them to get up and go to work on Monday. So what is it? What's the distinction? So that's what led me down this path to sort of explore employee engagement, to explore burnout, to explore what meaningful work was all about. Wow, that is that's incredible, and uh, to think it started with a cone of ice cream. So. Right. <laughs> but but that's really that's really interesting how that really drew you to to that topic. And you mentioned you know some you know just depending on the business, and I don't think it's necessarily uh, specific to any one industry whether you're going to burn out or not burn out. It probably can likely happen to pretty much any company or any person. But that's yeah. that's really nice how it how it really drew you into that into that passion. You're, right. you're doing you're fulfilling your passion. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And I think that that's key to all of it. And what they were doing was fulfilling their passion because it wasn't about ice cream for them. But sure. I also think it's not it's not specific to an industry. It's not specific to a socioeconomic class. It's not specific. Um, burnout doesn't generally discriminate, although you do find women experiencing a little bit higher rates than men. Um, and where you do find different industries or jobs um, suffering from higher levels of burnout, there are industries and jobs that objectively are more meaningful. So it's not what you would expect. It's the nurses, it's the inner city school teachers, it's the people who are literally in their job, not for the money. They are there to make a difference in the world. It's so clearly by what by the job that they're doing, those are the first people to burn out. Which mm-hmm. so when you start peeling back the layers on burnout, it really reveals more questions before it reveals any answers. Mm. So just to clarify, what specifically do we mean when we say employee engagement, employee burnout? Because I know it can have different meanings in different contexts. Yeah, absolutely. So burnout in its most classical um, definition is a tripartite sort of um, construct. So basically it stands on three legs. Um, what burnout, um, when burnout would be diagnosed is when somebody is suffering from emotional exhaustion, right? And we think of emotional exhaustion as, um, we hear exhaustion and we think, oh yeah, they're overworked, et cetera. But it turns out that 
Um, when we dive a little bit deeper and we ask people what makes them feel exhausted and what like lights the what extinguishes the fire and what lights the fire, they will say that the interaction with the patient, the interaction with the customer, the client, the student, that type of stuff lights the fire. So then what's burning people out? It's all the bureaucracy, all of the mental load that that's put on, um, that's unnecessary, that stands between me and the work that I'm there to do. That stuff leads to emotional exhaustion, um, which can then lead to physical ailments. Um, and, and I think you could probably speak to, it, it leads to people going down the wrong path with their nutrition and their fitness and all of these things as well. Um, because burnout, while burnout is very work specific, that's where it starts perhaps, but it spreads everywhere. Um, so it, it starts with emotional exhaustion and then leads to cynicism. Uh, we start, we stop believing in our work. Um, we, we start sort of pulling ourselves back and distancing ourselves from our work, from our patients, from our customers, from our clients. And then it leads to, um, uh, uh, so cynicism and depersonalization. And then it, and then it leads to personal accomplishment or a, a lack of personal accomplishment where we're churning our wheels and either in reality or in our mind, we're not, um, getting anything done. Um, we feel like we are sort of undervalued that we're, that we're doing, putting in all the work and not getting anything back for it. Um, and that's, that's, that's burnout in a nutshell. And that's, um, something that in today's, you know, like in this new normal, this COVID normal, I mean, when you look at what we're going through with, in terms of emotional exhaustion and cynicism and a lack of feelings of personal accomplishment, I mean, I think we're all going through that right now, regardless of industry. Sure. And that's, it's kind of, kind of a catch 22, so to speak, because for example, with the coronavirus situation, people are kind of drawn into, okay, focusing on, are my, am I, are my kids doing okay? What am I going to do to balance my work responsibilities, my home responsibilities? A lot of times they, their own health is the last priority when yeah. in reality it needs to be the first priority because if they're not healthy, if they're not engaged, so to speak, in their different responsibilities, then, then things are, then things are going to suffer, you know, with their own health. And I think a lot of that is it's holistic is you mentioned as far as uh, bureaucracy with different having to deal with different things, maybe their actual job they like, but there's a lot that um, that can contribute to wellness that they can that they can take on and handle like for example for food and nutrition just eating looking at taking a look at what they're eating or not eating a lot of times we're tempted to when if you're in a hurry you just throw something in the microwave or uh, or, or get grab some takeout, but really paying attention to what foods are help you engage, help you stay um, mentally fit, physically fit. Uh, for example, you've got you know the brain foods like you think green leafy greens, nuts, things like that. Making sure they're hydrated. So you've got kind of the the food and nutrition aspect, but then you also have other aspects because really health and wellness is holistic. You've got stress management. You've got um, things like, are they happy in their career? Are they doing what they love? Or, or what, uh, what adjustments can they can make? Are they, are, how are their relationships with their coworkers? How are their relationships at home with family members? There's a lot of, are they, you know, feeling, feeling joy in their life? 
And a lot of those things get put on the back burner when we have crises such as this, or even when we don't. There's a lot, I think sometimes people uh, tend to tend to have try to balance different priorities, but it may not necessarily work, so to speak. Yeah, I think many of us are, are prone to living in crisis mode all the time. You don't need uh, Corona to be declared a crisis for your life to just be a crisis. We're going deadline to deadline and packing our lives so tight that every day is a crisis. But I love what you said about how it starts with nutrition. Um, you, you know, it starts with you, right? And and I was just having this conversation with one of my kids. Um, she's naturally a giver and she's always giving and always doing. And now she's uh, turning 12 years old and she's starting to become a little bit more selfish. And she was feeling such guilt about this and such apprehension about what my wife and I would think if she stopped helping out as much with the baby or whatever. And I said to her, you know, it's like, it's like, um, uh, you know, that metaphor with, that people talk about often with, with the airplane, when you're in an airplane and the cabin pressure changes and the, the mask fall down, they always tell you to put your mask on first and before, before helping your children. Right. And, um, Within the, the meaningful work research, Lip Swersman, one of the leading researchers on, on meaningful work, says that, that, that meaningfulness is partially this, this um, pull between the self and others, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we often start thinking about others and we're always focused on the other and we don't stop and take care of ourselves because we find it selfish or we find it that we just don't have time for it or whatever it is, we put ourselves last. So I love your idea of how it needs to start with yourself. It needs to start by taking care of yourself physically um, before you can go out there and really serve others. I love that idea. And I think, you know, especially in the workplace setting, a lot of times when we think of, you know, corporate wellness or health and wellness, we think of just kind of some arbitrary program that the company just kind of put together just to check the box, so to Mm -hmm. speak. But I think it's really a shared responsibility. Health and wellness is a shared responsibility because, for example, on the employee side, you've got they're dealing with a lot of different things. Maybe they're they're not happy in their work. Maybe they're they're stressing out about different things. Maybe they're not, um, you know, going through some physical conditions. Um, like for example, an interesting stat is that. Um, Heart disease, for example, is the number one cause of death in the U.S., but 80% of that is preventable. Mm. So with, with diet, with exercise, with stress management. So you've got on the, on the one hand, you've got the employee situation and what they want. And then you've got on the corporation or the company side as far as what they can give and how they can, how they can help the help the employee not just say say hey we've got a wellness program to have it really make a difference and i think the key is just kind of bridging the barrier between those two really as far as communication as far as there are some different things that that you can do that we'll we'll address in a few minutes but i think it's really wellness is really a shared responsibility and that i'm sure likely ties into burnout and engagement. Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody's a stakeholder in your health, right? I mean, as a society, your employer, you know, sick days and, and productivity issues, it's all going to be linked to your, to your health. So even if, even looking at the most um, 
a selfish employer who's just interested in their bottom line, it's still a good idea to invest in the employee's, in the employee's health. Uh, but we used to talk a lot about work-life balance, and I still hear it talked about a ton. Uh, but I think that if you listen really closely, um, what we used to call work-life balance is not what we're calling work-life balance anymore. Because what we used to call work-life balance is something that the baby boomers um, really went out and gave a go at. And then ended up with the highest divorce rate in the When you look at what the um, millennials and, and um, Gen Y or Gen Z, whatever, you know, these younger generations are looking for, when they talk about work-life balance, they're actually talking about work-life integration, right? Mm-hmm. So they're looking, they're looking, now we've got the technology to back this up and everybody's being exposed to telework, whether they were, quote, ready for it or not. They're now, they're now exposed to telework, but they want... They're, they don't want to clock out of life when they clock into work. They want all of it to sort of flow together and to be one complete person. Um, and that ties into meaningfulness, it ties into burnout, and it also ties into uh, the company needing to be invested in the complete person. It's not like we get to put on a different hat when we get to work and now we're a different person. That's not healthy. And that doesn't work, not for the organization and not for the employees. So um, that really plays into what you're, what you're talking about. Like, why is it important for the employer to care about the employee beyond just the person typing at the computer? It's because they are a person and everything uh, integrates. You know, we, we talk about um, authenticity and that's such an overused word. You know, recently it's given way to pivot. Now everybody's talking about pivot. With, but, but authenticity, I have people roll my eyes every time I talk about authenticity. But in reality, authenticity, what that means is that we don't want to be a different person at work than we are at home. And employers who are trying to engage their workers need to understand this concept. And some of the barriers that we put up to protect our our home life identity and our work life identity because we thought that would be healthier need to be brought down and we need to integrate a little bit better. Mm. And I think a lot of companies don't necessarily realize or really make the connection between the health of their employees and the success of the company as a whole or within their department or whatever their, their pursuits. Like, for example, you know, wellness, it brings more greater morale, greater teamwork, greater cohesion, greater innovation, because people are, you know, sharing different ideas. They're being, they're having good mental clarity and concentration. They're having the physical stamina they need. They have, um, for example, there's less absenteeism. You know, if you, half of your your workforce is sick, then then your your performance and your corporate goals are going to suffer. You know, right. reduced reduced healthcare costs are a huge you know uh, savings. Like last year, twenty nineteen, there are over three point six billion dollars set um, million dollars a year on healthcare costs. And that was before Corona. (laughs) Yeah, that was before Corona. I don't know what it's going to be like this year, but but it's really it behooves the company to really focus on the individual as well as as the team and the company as a whole. And they're it's really um, it's really to their benefit, to everyone's benefit, really the the employee all the way up to the CEO and everyone in between. Makes a ton of sense. So, yeah. So is that, you mentioned, you know, it's called work-life integration now, you know, integrate, when we say integration and employee engagement, are we talking about the same thing? Are they kind of, I guess, correlated in some way? 
Yeah, I think there's a correlation there. Um, Work-life integration is definitely a piece of engagement, right? Um, when I think about um, motivation and everything we do to motivate employees, at the crux of all of that is creating meaningful work. So we all have um, the sense of what our life is all about, which started as, as a work as a calling, which was a, which was a, a concept of the church way back when, right? That the church uh, was a calling to certain people. And, and the cobbler stopped and said, well, I'm not called to the church. I'm called to be a cobbler. Could that be a calling as well? And so I know it sounds like a joke, but one week of my life, I, I took a week and I met with a rabbi, a priest, a minister, and an imam all separately. It would have been really interesting. <laughs> and I asked them, what's the, what's the purpose? What's an individual's purpose in life? Because I thought these are people who think a lot about this and are standing on the shoulders of people who thought a lot about this. And overwhelmingly, the response was that each individual has a very specific mission in which they are trying to fulfill through their life. So what happens, and, and by the way, you don't need to be religious. You don't, you don't need to believe in God at all. You could, be a, you could be an atheist and still feel like life has some purpose, like your life. You have some legacy that you are trying to leave. But these guys I, I met with because they clearly have made a life about thinking about things like these. And so what happens when people go to work and all they're doing at work is financing their weekend? And so they put everything on pause for the 40, 50, 60 hours a week that they're spending at work. That's not an existence. But if we can take our core values, our personal values, and find an organization that mirrors those values. And I always say, find me an organization that doesn't have an impact on the world, and I'll show you a bankrupt organization. By, by the nature of it, a business has to fulfill a need, right? So if a business isn't fulfilling a need, then it's not going to exist for the most part. So the business, the organization really needs to be clear about what their values are and what their greater why is, right? What, what, is, what is this that we're really doing every day? So for my ice cream kids, it was never about ice cream. I like to say that ice cream to us was, a, was like a stethoscope for a doctor. Mm -hmm. A doctor doesn't stethoscope. A doctor heals people. And the stethoscope is just a tool. And so... Our ice cream scoopers, we had a very specific mission to make Baltimore a better place. And there was a lot of opportunity there at the time. And so what, what would we do? We would serve ice cream. And that was a great tool to make people happier because that's a celebratory sort of thing. You come out on special occasions or, or maybe because you're down and you would suggest, I think, that people don't use ice cream as a tool for that. But we'd be there for them in those times. It was sort of like being a bartender in a lot of ways. But we would also make sure to go out into the community and sometimes with the ice cream and sometimes not. And we would interact with um, uh, organizations that, that help people experiencing homelessness. We would host a dance party with over 100 individuals with developmental disabilities every single year. They bring the oh. DJ, we bring an ice cream party, and we just dance for an hour. <laughs> it was amazing. You know, we would do all these different things because it was a constant reminder to my crew that this is what we're about. And ice cream is just the tool. And so if we as individuals can connect with, the, with the value, our values, with the values of the organization and get beyond the daily paperwork and understand and remind ourselves regularly about what this is really about, what am I doing here, then you can align the two and you can find meaning in your work.
And meaningfulness, by definition, is connectedness. It needs to it needs to go beyond the work and reach the home and reach every aspect of your life. And so that's where you find true engagement. Everything else is just noise. All the other things to get you there is just noise. If somebody finds their their calling in their work, then all of the motivation techniques and the pizza parties and the break room and the and and those superficial sort of things are meaningless because it's about so much more. And what is meaning again? It's about serving yourself and others, right? And it's about being and doing. It's about going out there and making an impact, but also having time to reflect. Those four elements are 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 at the core of meaningfulness. And so, like like you work with the wellness of the individual is so key. And then and then the organization bringing that and and bringing out the full person and aligning the values. And reminding people why they're really there, what this is all about, and, and linking the work to the humanity. I think that that is at the crux of employee engagement, of preventing burnout, uh, of making work something something bigger and better, making it what it's supposed to be. Sure. And we're seeing a lot of, you know, kind of a growing trend is more companies really, really taking that holistic approach to wellness and to the individual and you know what you were saying about fulfillment and meaning you know goal setting is is a key a key factor you know what is what does the employee want what do you want to be you know you always hear the question at job interviews where do you want to be in five years or you know things like that but really having a kind of a multi-pronged approach to wellness like for example you know a professional development aspect of it you know, you're in, you know, the employee is doing a job, but they need to develop too, whether, you know, job with job skills, with different aspects of if they uh, kind of be on a, on a leadership track or management track, but, and also putting, putting um, holistic things, putting wellness, putting their, you know, having a health coach, whether, whether it be in the company's per se, or have a health coach come in and really talk about issues that matter to, to the person individually. You know, okay, where do you want to be? What do you want to feel like? If you want to feel invigorated and excited about your job, well, there are physical things that you can do as well. There's, you know, diet, exercise, there's stress management, there's, you know, making sure your, your relationships are, are, are healthy there's there's the financial aspect of it, not necessarily just you know asking for a raise, but really managing and really helping to to maximize that that employee potential. And es- essentially, the crux of it is helping the employee feel valued and feel that that meaningfulness that you talked about. Yeah. So you and I are in a very specific, are, are in a very interesting space. Um, there is a study out there um, where they gave managers a choice. Um, they gave them a case study with a choice. One answer, one possible answer would be the ethical choice, right? The, the, the right choice. Um, and then, and then the, the other answer was the physically, fis, fiscally responsible choice. So you had the more ethical, the more moral, sort of um, the, the better as a good person um, sort of choice. And then you had the fiscally um, responsible choice. And they asked people, what would you choose? How would you handle this? What was interesting is that the managers that chose the, the morally superior choice and gave, instead of the more fiscally responsible one, 
what when they went back and asked them to explain their choice, they they worked so hard to tie this into the ROI of the company and how this would make money for the company or why this was better, the more in reality, the more fiscally responsible choice. Okay. So what does that study illuminate? It it shows that that you and I we're going in there with things that any human being would be like, yes, I want to to be there for my employees. I want my employees to be healthier. I want them to live better lives. I want to enjoy coming into work every day and I want them to also, but that's not enough because we're taught that that's not enough. So you and I need to need to um, tie everything to the ROI, even though in reality, we've already sold them because they know what the right choice is, but we need to tie it to the ROI so that they see how, how it's also the fiscally responsible choice. Um, it says something about our society, I think, that we only think in those terms or at the forefront think in those terms about, about um, you know, the ROI, the bottom line, what's the impact of this on the bottom line? Luckily for you and I, wellness, burnout, um, meaningful work, engagement, all of these things do so clearly tie to the ROI. But I think it's, it's a really interesting space because we're able to help people with both sides of that coin. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think communication is the key to that, to really understanding, you know, understanding that individual employee. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's one thing if, you know, sometimes you, you see sur- surveys come out within a company, you know, when, you know, when there's a new leadership, for example, or when different different aspects of the, the company change. But really, that kind of needs to be at the forefront. Granted, it takes a lot to, you know, to survey everyone and really understand the, the data and the information, but really taking the pulse, so to speak, on the employee. What's important to them? You know, are you happy in your work? What would help you feel fulfilled? What is, what can the company do to help you feel fulfilled? And really kind of seeing it as a shared responsibility to understand, okay, what are the company's needs? Like, for example, you know, a company may say they, you know, create a corporate wellness and maybe there are just some, some financial incentives for, okay, you, you know, you keep your cholesterol level at this, le- at this uh, level and, you know, we'll give you some money or whatever. But that may, may not necessarily resonate with the employees. They may be thinking otherwise. They may be thinking more, more events, more company events, more education aspects, you know, bringing somebody in about uh, different aspects of wellness, different nutrition. Um, so it's important for the company to understand, okay, where's, where's the employee at? And then, you know, at the same time, okay, where's the company at? What do we want to do? How can we balance the two, two needs? And really, they should be, if you think about a triangle, they should be coming up to the pinnacle in kind of a shared, shared goal. But there's, you know, different roads that lead to that goal. And there's sometimes there are communication disconnects. Yeah, yeah. I think that there there are a lot of potential blind spots in the C-suite and um, where people will will assume that they know what's best, like like you said, and, and that, that can be very dangerous. But I would add one caveat to what, what you said. These pulse surveys are so important. I 100% agree. As long as um, leadership is ready to deal with them, 
to Absolutely. actually make the changes. There's nothing worse for a company than surveying the employees and then changing nothing. Because while on the first hand, they might think that they're voiceless, once their voice is heard, it's much worse when they think that the company doesn't care. But they've heard their voice and they don't care. Um, so we have to make sure that when we're surveying, we're actually taking action on the survey. I think, um, like you pointed to um, earlier in our conversation, the, the checking the box syndrome, you know, which, which, so many, which so many of us do, where we, we're like, oh, I heard in a podcast that we've got a survey, let's survey, check. Why isn't everyone engaged, right? And then they're going to call Michelle and be like, Michelle, you said on your podcast survey, right? So obviously, all of these things are, are a little bit more nuanced, more involved, um, and people have to be aware of that, of that big picture. And, and with pulse surveying, so important to survey and to really be in constant communication with your employees, but equally important, or maybe more important, that we then take action on the feedback that we receive. Sure. And I think, you know, part of the developing that, that evaluation, that survey, um, is kind of going beyond the survey itself to begin with as you're creating that. Okay, yeah, what do you want to ask them? But, you know, why are, why are you asking this? What do you intend to do because of it? So how is, how is that going to change? And then how, um, depending on the results, are you willing to adjust different things within right as far as, in this case, from a wellness perspective. But I think, you know, in, in communication as a whole, because you, you've got different aspects to health and wellness. You've got internal factors. You've got that internal motivation, you know, and, and it occurs at, even at the highest levels. You know, CEOs get burnt out probably just as much as, uh, as different employees at, at various levels. But in terms of what choices are they making? Are they you know, do they, do they take time off? You know, some, I'm sure with, with burnout, you know, maybe a lot of them don't take, haven't taken a vacation day in, you know, years or you know, whatever the case may be, but what are they personally doing? So you've got internal choices, you know, what are they eating? What are they, um, are they relaxing on the weekends? What are their, their relationships look like as far as their interactions? You've got things like that with that motivation. And then you've got the kind of the externals, like what, what is the company doing? Are they investing in, you know, different, like some of the, the larger companies, for example, you may have, you may have a cafeteria, you may have your own, own food service staff or chefs and a lot of what, what things from a nutritional aspect can you integrate in there? What things you've got, you know, different apps, you've got wearables, you got the Fitbit, Apple Watch, you know, the whole the whole gamut of, of different things. What kind of corporate incentives or external incentives are there? Do they have events to motivate people to, um, you know, do they host, host a 5K, for example, or some other different charity events? So it's a combination, I think, of internal and external that help to really build that corporate culture and build that engagement. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it starts with the top. What's the CEO doing? What, what, what is leadership modeling? You know, and, and I think that that's, that that's big. Um, organizations where um, there's no turning off the cell phone, there's no um, walking away, um, there's no using PTO, you know, pay time off at the top, people are not going to, uh, employees who have ambition to move up are going to model that behavior. They're gonna be like, okay, I know that I have time off, but I'm not gonna use it. Um, 
organizations that give limitless uh, paid time off. This is like a, a new, a newer thing. Um, mm -hmm. What we find is that employees and organizations with limitless time off um, take less time off than organizations that give a set amount of time off. Um, Interesting. Yeah, because it's this macho culture. Yeah, I could be gone all year, but I'm I'm going to be here and I'm not going <laughs> to use it. And it becomes this macho culture. You know, this is how we brag about things, how late we went to sleep last night, how long we were working, how, how early we were at the office. We brag about things like that. And, and it's not it's not healthy. It needs to be modeled from the top. The behaviors you want to see uh, need to be modeled from the top. Sure. And there's a so is there kind of a sweet spot, per se, that really if you could, you know, say employee engagement is you know, doing, doing these types of things? Is there kind of a, kind of a midpoint sweet spot come between of, of where all these, or all these aspects kind of cross? Yeah. So uh, employee engagement, uh, when it's defined as the, as the opposite of burnout, which is one way that we define employee engagement. So there's a, there's a model um, known as the demand control support model, which I think is a beautiful model. What it argues is that when demand goes up, our sense of control goes down and our sense of support, that social support decreases as well. Um, that's when you're on the fast track to burnout. So demand goes up. What does demand look like? I think um, specifically right now we see with telework. Um, I'd like to refer to uh, a long, long time ago, I started as a, a biology student. I was pre-veterinary and then, and then was introduced to physics and organic chemistry. I'm like, is there something with less math? And they, they pointed me to the business department. They said, anything that, but just don't do finance or accounting. So, <laughs> so, um, so but, but uh, in biology and in, in anatomy and physiology, we always talk about vestigial structures, right? These are the, the structures that through evolution sort of have been, have, their functionality has been lost, and, but the structures still remain. So our wisdom teeth, uh, from my understanding, are one of those structures. Our skulls have changed shape, but our wisdom teeth remain. And so they come in and they just cause us pain and expensive uh, dental bills. How many vestigial structures do you have in your organization? How many things do you have that are boundaries standing in the way of your employees doing what they are there to do? So when we look at telework, so many companies now are teleworking for the first time out of necessity and they're finding, wow, this kind of works. Why have they never tried it before? Because it was a vestigial structure. Because originally we couldn't. We didn't have smartphones and internet and, and all these different technologies that, and the infrastructure to telework. So we never teleworked. Why don't we telework today? Because we never teleworked. It's not a good enough answer, right? So I, I keep telling people that, that this time, in this time and place, uh, is the perfect time to go through all of the, all of the policies, the written down policies, and also the the, the mores and the norms from your culture and go through them and ask why. How many of them are just there because they're vestigial structures? So that's number one is that, is that employers should get in there and organizations should get in there and remove barriers because it turns out that so many of the barriers within organizations are there at the hand of leadership. They're mm -hmm. self-imposed. And then the other piece is support that we can go in and really show support, both emotional support and more tactile support to go in there and actually help um, people with their tasks and to help people emotionally and be there to, to listen to them. I saw on LinkedIn, I'm very active on LinkedIn, and somebody recently was talking about when my employees want to complain about something, they know not to come to me. You come to me with answers, <laughs> not complaints. And I'm like, okay, I see a little bit of the reasoning behind it. Like, let's be constructive. But there is also a time and a place to vent. 
there's a time and a place and it should feel safe to talk about your concerns with your employer without them passing judgment. And also without them feeling like they need an answer for you right then and there. Sometimes we don't need an answer, we just need to talk. And so creating that emotional support, that safety, I think is really important. Um, and then the, the third part is the sense of control. And which by the way, if you look at demand, the control support in this COVID reality, it's unbelievable. I mean, we've all have, our demands have skyrocketed in terms of figuring everything out in this new reality. Our control, there's no sense of control, personal control over anything right now. And, and our support is through computer screens. And so everything has changed. And that's, that's why I think uh, so many of us are, are suffering from burnout-like um, uh, symptoms right now. Um, but that control piece, we can offer control through autonomy, through those pulse surveys, through reaching out and giving people a voice through letting people uh, come up with their own decisions, right? Guiding them, having the values there that will guide them to make the right decision, but then letting it be their decision. Let them figure out the process and coach them through it. Trust, but verify, right? Um, I think that, that all of these things are things that we can do to eliminate burnout, um, to increase engagement, and to let people really connect, help them really connect um, with the values of or the organization and with their personal values and find meaning in their work. Sure. And I think, you know, even this, this crisis situation with the coronavirus has really kind of helped people and companies kind of rethink, rethink that balance or rethink, you know, it's okay to telework. You know, some, a lot of companies are, you know, having been forced into telework now for, for a few months, um, they're thinking, okay, well, there's something to this and just kind of re refocusing, giving people the option to telework even after, you know, People can come back to the office, you know, just to really help them understand what what engagement means to them. And I think that it's at all levels. A lot of times um, companies have what I would call wellness champions is, you know, at different at different levels of the organization of, you know, seeing how things are. How are the employees doing from from a wellness perspective? You know, offering different, you know, different lectures, having speakers come in, for example or having um, different, uh, different activities, having that, um, that connection as well. So if, you know, some employee says, you know, wow, I wish they would have more, you know, professional development opportunities, or I wish they'd have more, uh, more broccoli at the cafeteria, <laughs> may not get that specific, but um, that they have, that they have an outlet so that wellness is kind of infused in the organization. You know, of course, the everyone still has their choice of what they're going to eat, of whether they're going to exercise and how much and, you know, how much they're going to work. But, but they have, but I think the, the carrot needs to be put in front of them, the, the motivation and the understanding. I think a lot carrot, of people... Not the cheesecake. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, you can throw you can throw in some cheesecake. That would be okay. <laughs> but just helping them to really understand, because I think a lot of times, you know, as employees, they tend to kind of, you know, they're focused on their work. Then they go home. They focus on their family, and it's not. Um, it's it needs to be a little more more balanced. The understanding of why why you do these things. Why should I exercise? well, it's going to help me be more productive at work. I won't be falling asleep at my desk. I'll be able to, to go home and really, you know, play with my kids when I get home, spend some family time. I won't be exhausted and just fall on the couch or, you know, but 
it really, it's an understanding. So it's an internal understanding. And then, you know, they make their own choices. But then in turn, that the corporation has, has different options for them and is really wanting to help and is putting out those, those options for people to participate. Do you have any examples of, of success stories of where really, besides your ice cream story, of course, of where really employee engagement is really, I guess, coming to the forefront? Yeah, I think um, organizations that are sidetracked. So one, I think it's about communication before anything else, like you, like you said. Um, I think that a lot of times people uh, at the top don't really understand uh, the issues. Um, they're too, they're too close to it to really see what the real issue is. So one example that I have is I had a CEO come to me and tell me that, um, you know, he was, he was describing all these issues with, with the employees. And it really sounded like what he was describing was, um, that his employees were sort of conflict avoiders, right? So, um, things would, little things would happen and, they'd avoid the conflict and avoid and avoid. And these things would snowball until they were so big that he would have people literally quit. He'd have huge fights. He'd have, he'd have all these different issues amongst his employees and passive aggressive behavior. And so that was what he saw. And so that was sort of what we entered the engagement, like we're going to fix this, uh, this issue for him. Um, but I have a, I have a policy where the first 30 days when I go in on, in a, uh, consulting opportunity, uh, the first 30 days are discovery and sometimes you get pushback and they say, what do you mean discovery? I already told you what the problem is. And I said, right. So I know where to start, <laughs> you know? Um, and so this is a case in point. I went in and I surveyed and, um, I administered the TKI, the Thomas Kilman uh, conflict indicator, which which sort of looks at how do individuals deal with conflict. Um, and what I found was there was no real difference in terms of how um, these employees were dealing with conflict as compared to other employees or, or other people generally. Uh, it wasn't overwhelmingly conflict avoiders. Um, so I followed up with some focus groups and some interviews and very quickly realized what was going on was that we didn't have conflict avoiders specifically within the, within the employee ranks they would try to squash things when, when, when a conflict arose, they try to talk it out, they try to deal with it. Every once in a while, they weren't able to deal with it properly because it was just, they couldn't come to terms. So they let it fester. Why would they let it fester? Because the CEO was such a conflict avoider, he wouldn't deal with it. Mm, so crazy. he had the right problem, but he, he, all he needed was a mirror. Right. So so a lot of times this is what we need, that we're a little too close to it and we don't see um, the true issue. And so um, what my job is and what your job is, is to go into organizations and find the right levers to pull. Right. Because everything is interconnected and we go in and we just find the right levers. And, 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 and once you pull those levers, you see everything else sort of slides into place. And so when we were able to deal with this conflict avoidance within leadership, we were able to solve so many different issues and suddenly people wanted to come to work again. They felt so much better about work because now they didn't have those interpersonal conflicts um, that were distracting them from the job that they were there to do. Uh, so that would, be, that would be one example, but it's, it definitely makes a difference. The culture, the, all the stuff that I deal with, um, you know, a lot of times they're referred to as these soft skills, um, but there's nothing more um, 
directly connected to that bottom line uh, than your culture over the long term. Sure, absolutely. And that culture, there's so many aspects to it and really kind of getting to the heart of the situation. I love how you're you're focused on on really getting to those root causes and really helping them to find solutions. That is super important. Right. Yes. And uh, so David, how can people get in contact with you? They want to learn more about your work, about employee engagement. Sure. So they can find me at my website, www.illuminatepmc.com, the PMC for performance management consultants, illuminatepmc.com. Um, and I'm also very active on LinkedIn. So always interested in continuing the conversation there. Uh, you can find me uh, at LinkedIn slash IN slash David Shar, or just in that little search box, David Shar. I think there's only one of us. If there's another one, tell them I said, hey. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, those are probably the two best ways to get in contact. Fantastic. So, well, David Shar, thank you so much for being here. It was an, an eye-opening experience, really understanding the different facets of employee engagement. And I, I hope you still like ice cream as much as you did back then, uh, several years ago. Yeah, I, I kind of feel guilty coming in here talking about ice cream, <laughs> given, given your expertise. But uh, this has driven me to sort of uh, work on a little bit of that corona belly that I've got going on. <laughs> so thank you. I've, I've learned a ton from you. I love this dialogue. Great. Thanks so much, David. Thank you.